0: Welcome to Campfire Fireside Chats.
1: This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Welcome, campers, to this week's Fireside Chat. This week we have dear friend of the show, Todd Purse returning and I'll be honest with you, this episode was a clusterfuck. It it's a, a beautiful, beautiful clusterfuck. So Todd and I both we have families, we have children, and for some reason we decided to record this episode at about eleven thirty AM on a Wednesday. I can't explain it. I don't know how we arrived at that, but we thought that would be a great time. And there were constant interruptions. There were internet issues. There were everything. Everything went on. But it's a fantastic, fantastic conversation. I mean, we talked about everything. Punk rock and reality tunnels approaches to interviewing, psychedelics and enlightenment, spirituality and faith. We got into stories about Grant Morrison and Robert Anton Wilson, Douglas Rushkoff, like the ungoogleable Michelangelo, which was an artist I had never heard of. And I mean, we talk imagination and novelty and Ramdas and Jacques Vallée and it's we, we really go deep. But we landed on a concept that really sort of became the theme for the day, which is something that, that Ramdas talked a lot about, which is just sitting in the idea that everything is perfect. No matter what's going on, what good, what bad is happening in your life, it's perfect. Everything is as it's meant to be. And not only is everything perfect, you specifically You are perfect So All the mess All the craziness that went on While we were trying to record this episode It is what it was supposed to be So sit back Relax And enjoy this fireside chat With Todd Purse Alright Todd Purse First off I'd just like to thank you For coming on the show
0: thank you for having me jordan it's been way too long dude yeah it's been a long time
1: the uh we were talking off mic i think the last time you were on the show was when you did the cryptid Roundtable. that was a blast yeah it was i think that
0: was god what was that nine ten months ago it had to be it's funny because in my brain i feel like it was like two years ago like i feel yeah. like i've known you for way longer than i actually have and i'm yep. like oh yeah no i've only known jordan and our extended group of friends for like a year or so at this point that we've really right. been communicating and stuff but it just feels like it's been way longer than that <laughs> yeah it really does
1: i have i was talking to um i was talking to heather from small town monsters i was talking to um to her the other day and i was like are you sure we haven't known each other for like five six years like when i look back at like when we started the show it feels like we've been doing the show for a fucking decade at this point it's so much but then again when like an anniversary or something comes up i'm like damn it's been a long
0: time You all have, I was just going to say, you all have been doing it for a while. And like the amount of episodes that you've produced during that time is definitely, it can make the years feel longer, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's impressive. We're like, um,
1: in two weeks, it'll be our two year anniversary.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Uh, Congratulations. It definitely feels longer than that. I thought you were going to say like three or four, like that's definitely. (laughs) Two years. And uh, like well over 200
1: episodes wow that's awesome that's
0: huge like most people hit two years and they have like 50 episodes or so like that's Mm -hmm. that's speaks a lot to y'all's uh consistency and just the amount of quality stuff you're putting out there yeah i
1: i appreciate that it's (laughs) it's it's a job it's definitely like you you have to you have to take it super seriously. I mean, you know, you hit what what did you say three hundred and some daily
0: podcasts For, you did? Yeah, four hundred and thirty. I think was the the last daily one I did. So yeah, it yeah. definitely. It's one of those things, that, like you said, like it didn't feel like work when I first started it. And I think once it started feeling like too much work, that's kind of when I knew that it was time to uh, change directions or or shift what I was doing a little bit more because I mean, especially for what I was doing where I'm just kind of, I was doing a daily uh, episode talking about what I made that day and posted. And like, if, It started taking away from my enjoyment or the time i got to spend from creating the piece of artwork that's when i was like okay i think i have to shift what 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 my goals are what is my goal with this
1: (laughs) yeah are you have you found have you found yourself less motivated to create
0: something every morning
1: that you don't have to make a podcast to talk about it or more
0: you know i've had it's It's weirdly been the opposite at this point, actually, because I feel like for the last 400 days when I start my daily drawing, I had a goal and it kind of no matter what you're working on, where that thing lives is going to affect how you work on it, right? Like where it gets shared with the world. So adding the podcast element changed the way I looked at my daily drawings for a long time. Like sometimes yeah. I'd be like, oh, I've drawn too many goblins. I don't want to keep talking. Like I, I was specifically trying to start working on things in which I could talk about and I think that's part of where my burnout came from and I mean to to jump back a little bit one of the biggest impetuses for stopping the daily section of the podcast was that forever I would wake up at 4am Uh, My kids, I have two young kids. My kids would go to bed by like 8.30 and I would go to bed by like 9.30. I would wake up at four, I would do my drawing and kind of my my morning routine, little meditation, quiet time, read some stuff, like try and take take my boredom time and then I would do my drawing and then I would do the podcast. Well, things have shifted as the kids got older and I lost part of my morning time and my kids are staying up later. So I'm staying up later and it's harder for me to get up as early. And I started being like, okay, I'll just skip the do nothing time. I'll skip over the meditation, the reading, the, the the fun, like kind of let my brain rest and explore things. And I just went straight into the drawing and then went straight to the podcast and then went straight into dad mode. And I was starting to feel very burnt out and just not like feeling like I was communicating what I actually wanted to be. And I was like, Oh, well it's because I cut out the like do nothing time. That do nothing time is so important. And yeah. like without that, it was affecting the way that i was so i guess a long way of saying that i got that do nothing time back so i'm like way more excited now when i go to start that daily drawing because i get to sit there for the first half hour just drink my coffee be be with myself if that for for lack of better words and like not have to like think about anything else going on do you consider like when you're in
1: that quiet space do you think about what you're gonna draw it
0: pops up for sure like it's yeah. one of those things that like it's brains are funny right like the mind is so weird like i'll tell myself like like i'll specifically be like okay you're not opening social media you're not opening the phone you're not gonna think about work you're just gonna let your brain wander and i do do simple things like i'm a big I'm a big fan of the 478 breathing where you just four you breathe in count uh, with a count to four hold it for seven seconds and then breathe out with a count to eight and that's kind of like my little like i do that to like i feel like if i'm counting i can't think about other things but it does creep in and eventually i'll be like "Ooh, i think i just got the idea but that's usually when i know it's time to stop that part and move on to the drawing and like move on like once that idea kind of bubbles up and i like can't get it out of my head that's usually when i'll move on i don't have like a I do this for this amount of time and like it's not that rigid but it's just like something pops in and I'm like ooh I want that and a lot of the times I get asked a lot like how is it hard to come up with all the ideas and stay inspired and I am very grateful for the fact that i find myself on the opposite end where i have so many ideas i want to execute finding the time to do them properly is more of my trouble than finding the yeah. the ideas if that makes sense that's a and good problem feel, to have it's a good problem to have right it really yeah. is but it's also it's kind of hard i'm very um, anxiety driven in a lot of ways so it also adds to that anxiety of like i feel like i should be getting a lot of stuff done that doesn't actually matter if i get like i'll come up with an idea for a comic right and i'll get on myself if i haven't executed that idea within a certain amount of times and i'm like no one's waiting for this comic no one cares if (laughs) this comic comes out no one cares like that's the same thing with the daily podcast that was definitely a part of it where i was like oh i don't want to bum out the like you know few people that really do enjoy it and like you know but then i'm like no one really cares. Like, you know, I'm, I do. There are. I have a very, uh, very grateful for the small community of people that do listen every day. And like, yeah. I I think most of them have either like signed up for the Patreon or I interact with them in other ways now. So I feel like I still have plenty of interaction with those folks. But like, yeah, I have to remember that stopping is OK. And that just yeah. because you start something and that it's like it, it it, works for a certain period of time. I was thinking about it the other day, like one of the biggest uh revelatory ideas that sank in at some point in my late teenage years was that you're not supposed to have the same friends for your whole life you're not supposed to really date the same person you're supposed to have people in your life at certain periods of time because that's when they're supposed to there and they're like for lack of a better word it's like serving a purpose and like you guys you people need i think creative projects are the same thing and that daily podcast i needed to do that for those 400 days just to make the relationships that i have with like you and our extended community and a whole bunch of other artists i never would have reached out to and to essentially get myself to the point where i have the creative weirdos which is the interview segment i do every saturday i'm still doing that every saturday i have an interview long form conversation episode come out so i think the the daily podcast served its purpose and maybe i'll start doing some here and there again and like you know get back into little ones when i feel like it but I uh, I feel like that was meant for that period of my life, and now I'm ready for the next stage.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I have. Were you? I mean, was it evident in the numbers that the interview sections were doing, or the interview episodes were doing, like significantly oh, yeah.
0: better than the daily? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like the the my my lowest interview I mean like my podcast is't huge I have no problem putting numbers out there like my daily yeah. episodes would get like you know 150 to 200 listens right like that was sure. my average on my daily episodes and then my my good interviews they'll break a couple thousand listens like they'll yeah. like like the tomorrow oness big difference the mitch horowitz one is the most listened to episode i've ever done and that's over twenty thousand listens right now it's the majority of my listens like when you look at my my spotify play count or whatever it looks way bigger than it is but it's just that one episode that like blew up because i think mitch is one of those people that people just like search in their podcast apps to see what he's talking on and like i think and this is where i feel really lucky to be in the position that i am in now that i get to talk to people like that or like My second biggest episode was the one I did with John Tenney. That's like you know slowly getting up there with the Mish Horowitz one. And I think it's because I have consumed so much of what these people talk about we can jump over the normal Mitch Horowitz stuff he talks about on the podcast. We can jump over the same five Tenny stories that everyone's heard and just, I'm just like, I'm going to talk to you how I want to talk. And like, I have so many questions and I don't care if this makes sense or if it's just for me. And I've gotten that response where people are like, I've never heard Tenny tell that story. It was beautiful to hear that. And like, so I think that's kind of, the the role that I'm trying to play is like talking to some of these people that are on plenty of podcasts but talking to them in a way that's very personal too like when I got a chance to talk to like Mitch Horowitz I just wanted to be like you're a dude that talks about like neville goddard and and causative thoughts and new essentially new age ideas but you wear a leather jacket and Ramon's shirts and you like you don't usually link that philosophy and esoteric or you know um metaphysical ideas with punk rock and like i i love those two worlds so i was like i just want to talk to him about that and that's a very specific so i've gotten to the point now where i'm only reaching out to people to talk to if i have kind of like a specific connection that i feel like i can make with them that is a little different from what they normally would talk about and or if it's somebody that i just like again think that would inspire me in a certain way and whatnot so but yeah numbers wise very evident (laughs)
1: yeah i think that's that's what i really like about your interviews is they're i mean like you just said they're unlike any other interviews that they that these people do if you look up mitch Horowitz or or john tenney the two examples you used if you look up either of them you could hear the same interview a dozen times you really could totally Totally. like
0: the same boilerplate questions the same and i've listened to all of them and enjoyed. like it's fun. like it's the type of thing that like i feel like consuming all that stuff is what gives me the advantage to like be able to and just because my brain's weird like i have like like it's funny because i feel like So many people get dedicated to the way that they look at these things, right? And that's why I love people like Tenny or Horowitz, where they're constantly doing flips and somersaults and their brains never sitting in one specific place and I yeah. don't think the interviewers always take advantage of that like I think people try and do a very linear interview style sometimes which is like super good and there's lots of those that I really enjoy but mm-hmm. I just kind of like going all over the place and letting whatever comes up come up and like never yeah. really having a specific set of questions so I think like I wouldn't have been, be able to execute that as well if I didn't listen to all of those like same stories to ten million times and everything. So but yeah, yeah, I i agree. It's definitely uh you can hear all those stories out there plenty of times.
1: <laughs> if if you're anything like me when you listen to those interviews at specific points, you know, they'll ask a question and you get an answer and you think to yourself like oh, I would have went here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. You know what 100%. I mean? hundred like, percent.
1: Like that's not what
0: I want to know. I want to know this. Why didn't you ask yes. this? Yes. Yeah. No, Tenny is a great example of that because he'll bring up the punk rock stuff all the time on sure. his own, right? But no one really goes down that rabbit hole with him. No one ever explores that as much as like, you know, and I didn't go like fully into it and whatnot, but those... Tenny's media knowledge is almost as interesting to me as his paranormal knowledge. Like sure. his love of old comics and kitsch culture and stuff is what like uh, connects me to his thoughts as much as his like you know thoughts on ghosts and aliens and everything yeah, else. Yeah. And like I think that like sometimes these people that are bigger thinkers and talkers in these areas get pigeonholed, and people mm-hmm. only they they know the the certain talking points and those talking points probably do lead to bigger numbers and like probably do lead to like more plays and stuff like that. So like I get like certain, certain uh, marketing aspects for lack of a better word, but But it uh, also
1: leads to a much less interesting interview.
0: Totally, which is what I'm in it for. Like I'm, yeah, I'm in it for like when I close the ZenCaster window, I want to leave being like, oh shit, I want to go make stuff. I want to like, I want to yeah. leave feeling kind of inspired. Like I was just saying, I got to talk to uh, Steve Berg recently for my pod. He just started a podcast recently. Have you been familiar with him at all? He's been on a few other podcasts. I don't think like, so. He's an actor who has recently been getting into investigating um, Nebraska High Strangeness. He's really okay. good friends with Greg Bishop. He was just on an episode of Our Strange Skies and a few other podcasts. And I've always liked his rap because he's obviously coming from a very similar thing where he is an artist, creative actor who's really into this stuff as a means of like inspiration and in a way to kind of have that creative connection reimbued and all that. And like yeah. he has that same kind of almost like uh you get to play dumb a lot like you get to be the outsider in this like i'm the artist that comes to the paranormal circle i'm not a paranormal i'm not like a dude that's in steeped in this stuff 100 percent right. where like tenny people say paranormal and then everything else like you know what i mean like yeah. like me and steve are actor artists first and then we're, we're into the weird stuff and that's like where yeah. we kind of revolve around where like tenny or horowitz or all these people that are very well-rounded people it's paranormal first. So I like to get into those other aspects of them um, besides just the paranormal stuff. Yeah. So what do you, I, that's what I, I wanted to ask you, like how do you prep for your interviews? Because I I mean, I've been a big fan of the fireside chats for a long time here and like definitely I've taken, tried to take some notes. So like one of the things when I'm talking to people and I'm editing my interview, I'm like, fuck, I got to talk a lot less. God damn it. I get rambly sure. and I talk a lot. And again, I think it's part of that. Like I'm talking to these people I've wanted to talk to for a while. But like, what's your mindset when you're getting ready for an interview?
1: I think the the most important prep that I do is the conversations I have with the person before the interview. So yes, especially when it's when it's someone that I don't know personally, Mm-hmm. when it's you know when it's their first time on the show whatever that that space of time between when we schedule it and when it is when the interview is i will talk to that person every day that's awesome
0: every that's day huge. i'll
1: at least send them one message we'll go back and forth a little some people are more receptive to that than others some people are busier than others you know and Totally. To be completely honest, I get along better with some people than others, right? Absolutely. But like I I do that specifically for rapport building, right? Like mm-hmm. I my goal ultimately with the interview is to let the guests talk about what they want to talk about. Right? That's That's huge. that that's the that's the main goal. I think that comes from the fact that we started the idea of the Fireside Chats as a place for experiencers to to speak about their experiences. So I've kind of always, even though the vast majority of them now are other artists, other podcasters, authors, people like that, who may also have an experience, but that's not the primary focus of the the interview. Um, Totally. But that mentality has always stuck with me, though. The reason we're here is to let them talk about what they want to talk about so that's beautiful those conversations we have in the Lita a lot of it is me trying to get a a feel for what they're into right now you know like what have they been thinking about what's you know what's on their mind so Mm -hmm. I can I can kind of dig into that and be prepared to talk about what they're gonna want to talk about you know what I mean yes that's huge that's that's a big thing for me I think that's that's the most important prep work that I do also when I have an author on I try to actually read their book
0: <laughs> you know what I mean that's huge that's yeah. also huge I I have uh, done I've been in both situations where I've had most of the people I've had on I've read some of their books but not all of them but there's definitely yeah. one or two where I have not read and it makes a big difference for sure
1: <laughs> the the most difficult one to actually fulfill on that was when I had Joshua Cutchin on
0: Oh yeah,
1: oh And yeah. I had like, I had like a month to read, um, Ecology of Souls. <laughs> and it's like, two thousand pages.
0: I, I was like, gonna say that's a two monther. I think it took me. Yes. uh No, I probably took more than two months for me to finish both books for sure. Yeah. It was a, it was a, and like it's a, a beautifully written book. It's not like it doesn't slog. It doesn't like, no. but it's just it's thick it's yeah there's all the the right ways (laughs) yeah (laughs) totally
1: and i've read it two more times since i had him on the show it's like it's one that you go back to and every time you read it you're gonna find something else that another wormhole for your
0: mind to fall in
1: a hundred
0: percent a hundred percent that's awesome are you have you checked out his new book at all the fairy films uh compilation he put together i think you'd really dig it dude i think you'd really like there there's a lot of really fun writers in there i just uh i haven't finished it yet but i just read like a i've been skipping around just kind of reading from people i know and stuff and whatnot and like there's something about this anthology format for 14 writing that i have been loving like i I really like the uh, the deep weird book that um uh excuse me dr jack hunter put out last year or earlier this year i can't remember time's weird yes um but the same idea as like an anthology a bunch of writers and like there's something about that just picking a writer reading eight to twenty pages of it sitting it down and then being like what do i want to do oh look here's another little one and like just these little piecemeals that make make the 40 and stuff a little bit uh i don't know digest in a little different way well it
1: it lets you tackle an, an individual concept
0: Totally. You know what I mean.
1: So when you, um, when you get those giant tomes like like Joshua Cutchin puts out, you it you have so much. You have to break almost page by page just to like soak in what you've just read. You know yeah. what I mean? But, it's so true. And I think that's why those anthologies are doing so well. Why they're so such a good vehicle for fourteen stuff because. You can do that eight to fifteen pages. You have a sing basically. You there. Us- it's usually a single concept, right? Yeah. And you you can take the time to digest that. You, there's no pressure to like go on to keep going. Yes. You know, totally. I found the first, especially on my first read through Ecology of Souls, I was rushing to finish it before I interviewed Josh and like. I there's so much that I just plowed through and didn't take time to actually consider. You yeah, know. totally. Another great anthology series is the Feminine Macabre series. Yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah. The, the new issue just came out, right? Their new yeah. bo- the new that installment. <laughs> I was trying to yeah. think the right word. Yeah, the new installment. <laughs> That's awesome. But I haven't actually read any of those uh, Feminine Macabre books. Have you read them?
1: Yes, they're fantastic. Are they awesome? I haven't read the newest one, but, um, I originally picked up the odd installments because, uh, Heather Moser is in those and I Mm -hmm. wanted to read her pieces, but I eventually bought them all because they're just so good. That's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're incredible. And there are tons of female, like researchers and writers in this field that honestly don't get a lot of attention and it's a great vehicle for that, too. I discovered a, a ton of the, my favorite follows I discovered through those books. So
0: That's huge. That's so cool. No, yeah. it definitely is. It's filling a nice space for sure. And I feel like there's so many more voices that are um, just kind of coming out, especially in on the female side and things that like yeah. there's a lot. Of, it's just starting. It's really cool. Like, I need to yeah. catch up with that stuff. I got to check them out that's awesome yeah. a question i had for you if you don't mind yeah <laughs> sure i am super in uh i've been thinking about a lot like i i go through different phases as far as like what i'm listening to and consuming and like i always have a string of like weirdo stuff and paranormal things and whatnot but recently sure. i've been like on the opposite end and getting more back into uh a lot of process stuff. I've been really geeking yeah. out about just like listening to artists talk about the way they make things and stuff like that. And like, yeah. it's funny because I've I found that I'm finding more, I'm learning more about like the Fortean by accessing it through those methods than through just like reading Fortean books or listening to paranormal podcasts and stuff. And there's a uh, a magician writer dude that I really like, Jason Louve, and he often says one of the things he tells people that that are asking him how to get into magic and esoteric for the first time he's like you can find more uh, about esoteric and magical practices from non-esoteric and magical works than you can from actual tomes of magic like there's so much out there and i've really been embracing that and like kind of like putting a you know 14 lens on listening to people talk about comics or movies or like these other things that i'm super interested in what what gets you there? Like what what do you what do you consume these days? That's not like uh, weird stuff or true crime stuff or things like that. Like do you do you find yourself oscillating to to things that are completely outside yeah. of this world, but then like picking out those things and be like, oh, that guy just said something that he didn't even know was super insightful in our little world.
1: Yeah, I I think for me that it's got to be music. It's got to yeah. be because the, the same way that you fall into um, listening to people talk about the process uh, with comics and film, like that's how I am with music. Like for instance, for the last month or so I've been, I sort of rediscovered the band Polyphia.
0: Oh, awesome.
1: Yeah. And um, listening to them talk about their process and, and, it's there's so much magic going on there. There's so That's much, beautiful. dude. It's dude, and it, when you listen to it, you're like, yeah, this can only be the result of a magic ritual. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, absolutely, yeah. Hearing them talk oh, about I'm- it, just like, okay, so for instance, I Tim Henson, their guitar player, he built this insane music studio. In his house. It's like he, he had it built when the uh, when the pandemic hit. And they were... He just wanted a space in the house. Okay. Right? And it's... I mean, it's a ritual space. Yeah. It is 100% a ritual space. It's... Dude, 100%. Just all the, like, aesthetic touches. All the, like, the house is... The room that he had he had this studio built inside his home and it's it's a hex not a hex it's a trapezoid okay shape so that there's Amazing. no there are no flat walls for sound Amazing. to bounce directly off of right yes and like and it's for this technical reason but there's also there's something so magical it's like stick about it geometry yes it's like he had this trapezoid built inside his home, with floating floors. Yep, <laughs> and like it's it's all just so
0: ritualistic. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, oh, no, yeah. absolutely. Those are the type of things. Like, I I bring up the Joshua Cutchin line all the time. That like. I feel like one of the best things that the paranormal or this type of stuff can serve is to remind us that we're living in a magical world, that the world doesn't need to be re-enchanted, that it's very enchanted. I think that's true. But I think one of the things that is like the best part of it is to give you that worldview and apply that worldview to other parts of the world and the culture. Like to take that and look at music or look at art or cooking or comedy or cutting the grass or landscaping or like and applying that same thing to there's there's this idea of i don't want to say gamification because it's not like this modern type like i don't want it to have that like modern marketing cliche but like this idea of play that i think is very left behind in a lot of ways and like if you can take that idea of like looking at everything as like How are they playing within the universe? There's so much more that can be gained from it. And I don't know, the, I don't know how you feel about these things, and I don't really talk about it too, but the uptick in all of the mainstream weirdness always makes me like retract. Like it always makes me, like the more that I'm like flipping through to like, Apple News, and let's see if it still does it. There was one this morning that I was like, I don't even want to see that be on my newsfeed, but it kind of makes me... uh. But there was something where it's like scientists prove that being on the same brain... Wave or wavelength or whatever. You know, when people say mm-hmm. that, that's like scientifically true. Like there are yeah. just like different frequencies that people do harmonize with better than others, right? Right. But there's something about the more that I see those things in the news where I'm like, ah, okay. Like this is my stuff. Like I don't want to hear like CNN talk about this or whatever. So like I've been kind of retreating back into things that I was into just as much and like, you know, yeah. not, like I was saying the comics and the process and stuff. Todd, that's the, that's the punk in you. I know, I know. 100%. <laughs> You're like, That's I don't so want true.
1: mainstream to steal my shit.
0: Yeah, like, come yeah. on, yeah. man. But there is something to that where, like, there's, like, a... No, 100 I've said a bunch of times that uh, minor threat broke my brain in a lot yeah. of ways. And it's one of those <laughs> ways, for sure. Yeah. And I do, in the big picture, think it's better for... Like, I'd much rather see those headlines than a lot of other headlines. Yes. And, like, I think that the more that those things are being talked about... And like pushed in that direction as far as like a, um, either a panpsychist or animistic or like this idea that we're all connected by giant consciousness things. I think that's beautiful and more people should talk about it. But I guess why I get bummed is because I know if I click that article, that is not going to be the conclusion of that. You know what I mean? Like you can read all this science and stuff, but it's not going to come to the end that I would hope it would come to. Yeah. But where I do think it's very beneficial is like the more. I guess normies for lack of a better word, the more people that are just reading those words and even just passively ingesting that stuff. I think it does open them up to that more uh, magical worldview and that view yep. that like we are all connected and a part of something really big. I've, yeah. I've been fucking fascinated by this thing that I go through waves, but uh, Ram Das talks about it a lot. This idea that everything's perfect, right? Like, yes. like, like, and like sitting like, like really sitting in the idea that everything's perfect right now that like all the shit that I was complaining to you about before this mm-hmm. podcast like that all is perfect like perfect. everything that's good that came from it is perfect the, the baby that was just born and was a stillbirth that's perfect like all it's yeah. sitting in that idea is like it's very like again like it kind of makes you it makes your brain break in a good way in a certain yeah i can't i can't put my my finger on exactly why that has been such a theme for me recently but i really feel like there's something to take away from it no matter how you're where you're at in life and it's not excusing any kind of uh poor actions on anybody's you know behalf or anything but just radical acceptance exactly radical acceptance and the tr- like the more that I've gotten to talk to people that are way smarter than me and the more that I've gotten to interact with I don't know just a very wide uh, scope of world views the more that there's this one consistent thing that people come back to and that there's there's something going on. There's a hand guiding this thing. There's there's a there's a person behind the scene. There's an there's an Oz. There's something that's yeah. happening, and it's all purposeful. And like people's definition of what that guiding hand can be very different, and very sure. like you know, it can turn some people off, and it can like get pe- other people really excited, and all of that stuff. Yep. But there's something about that idea that everything is perfect the way it is right now, and that there's something kind of guiding all the chaos is really special to me. Yeah. I don't even know how I got there from what we were just talking about, to be honest. That's okay. <laughs> I,
1: I try to, honestly, I try to observe that for a couple minutes every day.
0: That's awesome. Just have you ever tried to work with your kids on it? Yes. Does it I work? have. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're not ready. Because I, I, I've tried with the six-year-old, and I'm like, uh, you know, uh, this yeah. is just not meant for a six-year-old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. I have that's a 16-year-old that still can't get it. Um. and like it's one of those things that I think about all the time because it really is about leading by example and it's about like like you taking the, the couple minutes every day to remember that and like the only way that they're actually going to rock it it's not about like giving them the right talk or the right book or the right information it's about showing showing them them via how you live your life and like that's something that I'm fucking bad at a lot of the time I'll be having like a meltdown in the kitchen and be like oh shit my whole family's taking this in and like even though they're not like standing right in front of me it's all it's there and like Mm -hmm. I think that's such a important lesson to learn in life even for people that aren't parents and especially in the weird time that we're in one of my favorite thinkers uh douglas rushkoff he talks about ai a lot right now right because everybody talks about ai right now but he's he's one of my favorite people to talk about these subjects because he has such a different and unique and surprisingly very positive view on this but he's been talking about this idea a lot that the proper way to train ai is not to try and filter what it's being fed or like we have to treat it like it's the toddler in the back seat and that toddler sees us yell and flip off the person that just cut us off. And they internalize that. And the only way, and you can't do that and then say, but you don't do that. You do something yeah. different. You have to actually not do it. And you, and that's yeah. the way we have to treat AI and this new culture that we're birthing right now is we have to lead by example. And if we want these things to be something that supports and makes humanity even more beautiful, that is an option. That future yeah. exists and we can tap into that, but we have, have to show it by example. It. Yeah. Exactly. And I think there's yeah. something really special about that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's, <laughs> that's big. I mean, totally. It, it's tough. It's, it, it's difficult. When I was first, when I was first, considering talking to my kids about that idea that everything is perfect. Just to like sit in that for a couple minutes. You know what I mean? I I struggle with it sometimes. You know what I mean? Like it it's hard for me. At thirty six it's hard for me to even just for thirty seconds. Some I mean some days I'm not gonna get there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just Some days it's just out of reach. But yep. I I think it's really beneficial though when I can when I can manage to get to that space,
0: and it's all just about the. Let me think of the way the way I want to put this because like that's one of my favorite parts about dudes like Ram Dass because they talk about it like you know, there's this beautiful beautiful interview that Terrence McKenna does with Ram Dass they're in Prague and they're at this restaurant and there's just so much so much yep. good stuff. But there's one point where Terrence McKenna is like, don't you worry? Like, how are you Ramdas all the time? How do you incorporate the flawed being of Richard Alpert into Ramdas? And how do you do that in a way that's genuine and not just like brushing over it, essentially? I didn't word that nearly as well as Terrence McKenna did, obviously. But Ramdas sure. says, essentially, I made it my thing. Like, I made my fuck-ups... My Like, I leaned into it, and I made them the thing to show that everybody fucks up, no matter how different or how connected you are to the universe or any... Like, the most spiritual people are gonna fuck up, and that's okay. And usually the best stuff comes from those fuck-ups. So, like, so like the fact that, like, we can't always hold that idea that everything is perfect yeah. in our head. Like, the better things and the fact that we're just trying is really good. And he also talks about how it's it's almost, it almost comes down to, like, linguistics. Like, certain ways of phrasing these ideas are going to click better with other people. Like, yeah. I think a very similar idea to that, this is all perfect, is a, a, something else that a lot of esoteric and uh, spiritual thinkers will talk about, where stop and think about what it took the series of events that it took for me and you to be born and to be having this conversation like how much shit had to go fucking wrong right and everything in the middle and one little tweak like one little thing differently i think about this all the time with my kids like i we had our second baby 2 years ago right and before we were trying to get pregnant and it wasn't working and then my wife stepped down from a very well-paying very big job put us in a very different financial situation Mm -hmm. and we did that knowing we were going to we we were cutting out some of the money that was coming in and we were about to make a situation trying to make a situation where we're going to have more money coming out by having a second kid right but while she had that job we never we didn't have any luck we tried for almost two years as soon as she left that job She got pregnant like almost right away, and then there will be times when we're financially strapped right now, and I'll be like, "Fuck, why didn't she just keep that?" You know, like like that thought is not gone from my head or her head. Like you know, like it's in both of our brains. But then it comes back. We would, we may never have had June and god damn it that's the most important so like that same idea that everything is perfect like it can be thought of in the way of just stop and think about what it took for your parents to get together for your grandparents to get together for your great grandparents to make it to wherever you were born like you know all those little things and you're like oh fuck there's something really special about us just sitting here talking Yeah, Yeah, so I think it's as much as like finding different ways to relate to the same material which is where like the paranormal and stuff is such a beautiful way of doing it like a yeah. lot of people are probably turned off by me even saying the word ramdas because like they sure. have a certain like connotation whether it's like hippy dippy bullshit or he like there are all kinds of different things now, yeah, i'm sure yeah. people are, like guru cult leader whatever you want to say yeah, about yeah. Like that the sex of things but um I think that you can arrive to those same ideas from reading Jacques Vallée or Kiel or or Dr. Jeffrey Kripal or like more like you can get to the same ideas that these very spiritual, esoteric, philosophical thinkers get to via things like the uh, Bigfoot or UFOs. (laughs) And that's where I'm like, oh, the world fucking rules. That's awesome. That's where I get really excited and stoked about things. It's all the same.
1: Yeah. Right. exactly yeah, and you, and you were... can you can slip through the looking glass on that stuff too like it's when you have those days when you can't get to everything is perfect that's perfect too
0: yes yes you know what no, i mean 100 like yep yep
1: and you that's can very true it's this just yeah, a really that's... quick way of saying everything you
0: just said <laughs> yeah no, I, I need somebody to be more succinct. I'm very rambly, and especially after Wednesdays are coffee meeting days, so I drank oh, yeah, a ton yeah. of coffee before we uh logged on here, <laughs> so I'm back. extra rambly. But dude, yeah. you were brought up with more of like a Eastern type of like what what kind of sure. uh spirituality were you exposed to growing up? I remember we touched on this, but it was different than a lot of people, right? Sort of um
1: Hippie blended with Quakerism.
0: Yes. Okay. Totally. And like you, it's so funny because So I just had a conversation with Chris Ernst, who um, is a wonderful movie maker. He's on where did the road go all the time? Really thoughtful magician and just smart guy. Right. He was brought up like his parents were followers of mayor Baba. So he was brought up in a house where like, that's what he, that was his religious exposure. Right. And that's, and I was talking to him and I'm like, you're one of the only people I've talked to that hasn't had like a full on rebellion against the spirituality yes. that you were brought up with you don't have this like religious trauma that mm-hmm. is like such a consistent thread in like almost every from artists to musicians to paranormal researchers like everyone has that it seems like that I talked to right and yeah. I just it just dawned on me that you might be the one other person that doesn't seem to have as much of that and like it's interesting that little mix in, and Quakerism has a whole other esoteric like, thing yes. to it, right? Like, there's a yeah. lot of, like, like again, Ramdas used to talk about, I think it was Quakers who have the still, small, quiet voice that you listen to, right? <laughs> like, that you, like, yeah, like, there's a lot of stuff. So, it's interesting to me, people that are brought up with more, uh, either Eastern or esoteric, uh, thought processes and less, like, we go to church every Sunday and you die, you go to hell or you go to here. Like, yeah. less of that. It seems like there's less rebellion. And, like, you seem like you're a little bit more. I don't want to say well adjusted as far as those ideas go, but like there's something there, right? Like (laughs) I think
1: it's less about the substance of the of the particular faith. And it's more about it's more about a lack of rigid ideology. Yeah. There's a very point there's very little rigidity in you know, in in those Versions of faith. Yeah, it's it's less structured. There's less stigma. There's less um, judgment. Yes, right. I think, and I think that's totally. where a lot of the religious trauma you see comes from with Western religion.
0: That's so true. Also, so there,
1: what most versions of Christianity are attempting to hold up a structure right yes so yes. they that's where the rigidity comes in right that's where the stigma the um, you shouldn't hang out with people outside of your faith you mm-hmm. um, you should be giving tithings to the church you should if you don't go and donate you know eight hours of your time on Saturdays then you're at a lesser standing in the church things like that yeah. like I think that's where a lot of the religious trauma comes from. I have a lot of friends who are like deconstructionists, right? Like they grew up in the church and then they found their way out of it and they've kind of spent years breaking down what they went through in the church. And totally. the the trauma that they endured, you know, the things that they endured because they thought they had to in order to you know to live everlasting right yes. like yeah. it was yeah. they're literally told you have to do what we say or you can't live forever like the rest of us will <laughs> you know what Man. i mean like totally and told that from a very young age which you wonder why it fucks people up <laughs> you
0: know yeah. it's dude yeah you're absolutely right that's a great point there's also this like there's this disconnect between a lot of the way that we bring up kids or the kid in the western side of the world as far as catholicism and christianity and like as soon as like the way that like jesus's teachings are presented to kids at a young age versus when you actually start getting into stuff on your own you're like wait a second this is completely different. Like, like it's antithetical of what's being lived. Like once you start reading what like Jesus was actually saying and like, it's, it, it causes this disconnection. That's very, um, it's very jarring for a yes. youth, you know, and it, it usually comes in that rebellious time where, like, you know, you're you're starting to learn that, like, things aren't as black and white and there's all this gray area. And it seems like, again, I've been – I've talked several times about how thankful I am for that opportunity in my life to have that very distinct, like, this is something to push against and that didn't seem right yeah. to me and, like, it gave me that, like um, – almost like safe rebellious point like instead of like rebelling against my family directly or like going out and like you know doing a lot of uh, more risky behavior i got to rebel against this like giant thing that like most yes. kids that i was like with were rebelling against right sure. and like I think about that with my kids, like, what are they gonna push back against, like, being brought yeah. up without that type of thing, but from your experience being brought up in a slightly different like, did you have a push, like, was there something else that you felt like you had to push back against or, like, did that pop up in a different way like, as far as that, like, uh, youthful rebellious attitude?
1: Um That's a great question. I never really felt like I was rebelling against my parents. I yeah, I don't think I I don't think I ever really felt that way. Yeah. I I definitely growing up in cuz I did grow up in a conservative Midwestern small town. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So there yeah. were plenty of authority figures to point my punk rock at. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like Absolutely. But none of them were my parents, you know? That's, like Yeah, yeah. And and I think I think that's the way to go. Um I agree. But what you were saying about the um, that jarring moment when you realize that when you see the sort of um, cognitive when you start getting the cognitive dissonance about your religion when you're a kid, mm-hmm. right? What comes to mind? Imagine how many ten-year-old kids in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. Imagine how many of those kids who every weekend sat with their parents and watched Joel Osteen on TV and then got turned away from his church during the floods because he didn't want them to get his carpet dirty.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? Like That's... Yeah, no. yeah, And that's, like, dude, to link this whole conversation back to some weird stuff, like, that is this... Like, what I was talking about is this very... Uh, abstract rebellion, like rebelling against something that's this giant structure that you yeah. see a very dissonance between, like uh, scripture and it's like it's like the spirit, the spiritual rebellion that is that spiritual becoming physical, like that is yes. the physical manifestation of that disconnect, and that's where it gets like real world dangerous and sad, yes. and, like you know, like much more yep. of a, a, a problematic, even too light of a word for those type of things. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely. Just, like, yeah 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 that's and man that's a really great way to put it because i think there's something one of the things that i don't think western or like the type of catholicism i was brought up in or the mainstream christianity whatever you want to call it i don't think it addresses that issue of the fact that we are these like combination weird material and spiritual beings at the same time and that like at the end of the day i think that like it's been a while since we talked like we've talked and i've probably changed a lot of my views on weird stuff and consciousness and everything since we last talked but i think recently that's the idea that keeps me uh keeps rattling around in my head and keeps me kind of like inspired is that it's all about this meeting of the material and the spiritual like we are this thing that is this combination of a very ethereal and i I keep saying spiritual because i can't think of a better word for it but we are this thing that is of the ether and we're also a material animal we are a physical being right and all of the stuff that i love it calls us to kind of uh look at that dichotomy and look at the sitting in inside of that in a comfortable way and the fact that that's not a A lot of the times i guess what i'm getting at is the western view on that is that that's a negative like that's not a good thing like we we need to be all of the material world or we need to be all of the spiritual world where i think the the real sweet spot is in the middle like we need to be constantly searching for that spiritual connection but not leave behind the fact that we're material and i think that's why like the ufo is such a beautiful example or like a bigfoot or because it's all of this stuff that's combining these uh very kind of esoteric and uh it, again ethereal spiritual things and putting them inside a metallic metal craft or like something that we can right. interact with it makes me think of this terence mckenna rap where he's talking about uh it might actually be in that ramdas interview actually because he's talking about how he loves and really respects eastern philosophy thinking and he thinks that it can get you somewhere that's you're supposed to go. Like he yeah. is saying that like, that is like what he, if, if he was going to say there was a truth to the universe, that would be the truth. But yes. the problem is taking, 15, 5, 10 years to sit there and form a practice and become a, you know, essentially like somebody that can connect to those things via meditation or things like that. It's kind of bullshit in his eyes when you can go to South America and take a couple mushroom, five grams of dried mushrooms in a dark room and have that experience because that is the spiritual becoming material like the mushrooms and hallucinogenics to him is it's a representation of us it, right. it's, it's that combination it's a way to experience the spiritual via a material a physical material and that's right. the exact same thing that maharaji told ram das that like yeah it makes sense that westerners need the mushrooms or the acid to get to this place because you are a materialistic culture so you're coming at this from a materialistic point of yes. view where like and he his whole thing was that when he when Ramdas gave Maharaji these huge hits of acids and Maharaji or Neem Kuroli ba, Baba was essentially like yeah like this is old yogi medicine that they used to use before they realized there's more direct connections to the space and yeah. you westerners need the material to connect to the spiritual but that's just a part of your evolution you're going to get past that essentially is yeah. what he was saying and like but I think there's something I don't know if we do get past that I think we need that like since we are material beings of a material plane, we need both. Yeah. We need the mushrooms, kind of, or we don't need them, but you know what I mean. Like, we need that, uh, yeah. that connection. Yeah. Sorry. That yeah. was a long ramble.
1: <laughs> no, it's what's funny is just a few days ago, I listened to Duncan Trussell explain that exact concept to Rain Wilson.
0: Dude, I almost I did, listened to that interview right before yeah. we started this, and I didn't. Oh, for my what, God. That's hilarious. I got to go listen to that. It's great. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yes. It's fantastic. Awesome. Um, that's so cool. Because his new book is all about. No, no, like
1: no! Sorry, it wasn't Duncan Trussell. It was um, Pete Holmes.
0: Oh, Pete Holmes! That's awesome. Tells Rain Wilson about it. Yeah, that's cool. Now I did start that one, and I I can't remember why I had to stop. But they were like kind of getting in it. Like they didn't seem to yes. agree on that. I don't know if yeah, it was they that. Don't. There was something whether they were not because but yeah i haven't listened to it all the way through or got to that point so i need to go back and check that out that's beautiful
1: absolutely yeah um but yeah that's that's a super important concept to me personally i think dealing with the fact that an individual is as much concept as it is physical being Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like yes 100 and that's that, that spiritual whatever it is right there there's something beyond the physical and i i think of it as like the concept of who you are what you are right exists yes. separate from your physical being 100% right? but it's not it it is separate in that it's i mean <laughs> As people, we separate things, right? We have to to make sense of the world. So it is yep. separate, but I don't know if it actually is separate, right? It's so intertwined, right? Maybe it's just two aspects of the same of the same yes. thing, right? I think and you're absolutely maybe right. Maybe you can go even farther and say you and I are two aspects of the same thing. I right. I do and agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and I think. Maybe oh, that
1: con- maybe that spiritual side of us is you know is that binding factor, right? Maybe yeah. the spiritual is everyone. Yes. Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. I, I. Yeah. I think that is it resonates so well with me, and I think that that's the type of thing that like there's so many. I feel really lucky that I got exposed to things like Robert Anton Wilson early on, right? Yeah. Who deals with a lot of these ideas. And one of the things that is the best thing that he's ever put out there is the idea of reality tunnels, right? And the idea that like you can sit in other people's reality tunnels and the whole goal is to kind of – acknowledge what you just said that we are of the same cloth and that we are of like the same we're connected in certain ways and like everybody's reality tunnel is only as real as they empower it to be like you can shift reality tunnels at any time and again that gets back to like some of my favorite uh weird encounter stories or like favorite ways that like these other beings communicate with us i've I don't know if we talked about it when we talked last, but I've talked about it on my podcast a million times. And anyone who's heard me talk probably heard me t- say th- talk <laughs> about the story. But Grant Morrison's interaction in Kathmandu, which essentially, you know, he uh, goes to Kathmandu to have a uh, enlightenment or what he calls an alien abduction experience, where sure. there's a famous temple in Kathmandu that the lore is if you hold your breath and you can ascend all the stairs in one breath, you gain instant enlightenment, right? Yes. So he does. He smokes a little bit of hash. Him and his friends, they take a deep breath. They run up all the stairs. Which they get always to the helps top. you hold your breath. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you gotta get gotta get those lungs stretched out, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he gets to the top, and he proceeds to have what he calls his alien abduction experience, where he's. Uh, essentially visited by these like silver globey balls of like material sponginess and they tell him that the reason that beings like them come here to this plane of existence to interact is because there's something special about the way that we are this combination of material and spiritual and that makes it so that we can grow ideas in linear time and that yeah. they they live outside of time they can't create things outside of time. You have to have linear time to make things. This is essentially what they're telling him. And right. they come here to inspire us to make things because we have the tools. We are their artistic implements, essentially, right? Yeah. So that's the, the message that Grant Morrison gets from these silver balls that he uh, visits with. And then he goes back and he makes The Invisibles, which is a giant hyper via comics that yeah. I loved. right? So that's one of my favorite stories. Another story that I talk about a lot and I haven't talked about in a while is has to do with another artist that I love called the ungoogleable Michelangelo. And he is a visionary artist and very into the psychedelic realm. And he's very... Um, he. he does a lot of dmt trips and he's very knowledgeable and that type of thing and he says when he goes to the dmt realm he gets visited by mantis beings or grasshoppers like giant you know very similar to what you hear about in alien lore as far as like giant uh bug beings right exactly yes to a t and he made this decision one time he's like i'm gonna hit this dmt I'm going in this realm. And I'm going to ask them, why do you come here? Like, I know why I'm smoking this DMT and coming to visit you guys, but you guys seem to be like this super powerful being that's outside of time and space. Like, why are you coming here to visit us? Like, how come I send up this bat signal that is DMT and you guys show up? Like what's going on here? Right. So he, he does the DMT and he asks them and he says, so why, why are you interested in hanging out with me? And they say the almost exact same thing that those silver Orby things say to Grant Morrison, that, they need to come here to plant ideas. This is their idea right. farm and they can't grow ideas without linear time. So they come here to inspire and to create. And I'm like, God damn it. There's something to that. You know, right. like that's the type yeah. of stuff that like gets me really excited. And like, I think there's something so special about us as a, as a thing that we are this combination, this self-reflective combination of spiritual And material beings that like, uh, again, to bring up Douglas Rushkoff, he says we're squishy and the squishiness is our power. And I think that's right. If we look at it right, we have the ability to do this thing that is like traverse time and change and create. And it seems like even from like Greek mythology that's what the gods were after the gods were bored they were sitting outside of time and space and they needed something to so like there's something about play and creation and like all of this that ties together really nicely for for my weird little brain
1: (laughs) yeah yeah no mine too um i think that's also that's another reflection of the the ethereal and the physical right is the idea that of the idea
0: yes yes right
1: the, the whole concept of taking something ethereal and turning it into something physical. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's, I are think you, that's, uh, that might be at the core of everything.
0: Oh, you are 100. Have you ever gone down the Alan Moore YouTube rabbit oh, holes yes. of idea space? Here's yep. this one talk that is my, I've used this a bunch, but he he uses the example of a chair. And he's like, the idea of a chair is so much more important than the physical chair. Because the physical chair is going to degrade, it's going to break, it's going to go away. And if we lose the idea of the chair, we can't rebuild the chair right away. It might be hundreds of years until we come up with the idea of the chair again. So we can't lose the idea. The physical thing... Is only part of it and it's the smallest part of it. And I think that is such an important concept, especially when you look at how culture shifts these days, whether it's like languages going away or just like tons of books that will never be republished or never be reprinted. Or yes. like, I know there's lots of things like with the internet digitizing and stuff, but even that is not as. As permanent, or uh, it's yeah. not the same thing as a physical. Again, like there's something special from taking those ideas and making them into a physical object like the book or like a painting that gets yeah. lost when it gets translated to zeros and ones. There's not yes. the permanence or the like, there's there's not the same uh, magic behind it, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> that, or we could be stuck. wrong about all of it. Yes, uh, no, absolutely. Well, I, and I love playing <laughs> with that idea too. That, like, you know, I just brought up the idea that we're losing languages and like certain cultural mm-hmm. things, right? But I like to play with the idea that there is a guiding force behind that those cultural shifts, and those languages are probably meant to be lost. Those books sure. are meant to not be republished. Like, all of those things that happen that right now to me and you in 2023 seem very negative and very yes. much like, oh, fuck, that shouldn't happen. In like another twenty years, we'll be like, oh, that makes sense. Right. Like that—that yeah. that is how that's supposed. To, you know, like I think there's a lot of that, yeah. that that goes on right now, and like not that you should use that to like, I don't know, bypass. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, but yeah. like, I think oh, there is things that perfect. we just don't. Yeah, exactly. Everything's perfect. I think you have a good title for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, that's you know, for a long time, um, we we were really into. The Gaia hypothesis, mm-hmm. right? That's a really a very scientific, convoluted way of saying everything's perfect.
0: <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're, You're absolutely really a, right. That whole concept, it, dude. It's so funny because, oh man, I actually just kind of uh, you, you got me there. That's very, that's very <laughs> good because it's so funny because if you skipped that, like if you like, let's say you were talking to somebody who's just getting into this type of thinking right and like like whether it's paranormal or a philosophy or just like be taking that next step in thinking about what it is to be human right and you put those two ideas on the table that this is perfect or the Gaia hypothesis that it's kind of like a control system sentient thing like that one has way more interest and it's because there's like this story and this lore and like like there's like a mythology that you can easily build around it and there's like there's different players and characters you have the slime mold you have the animals you have the plants right there's all yeah but when you just say this is perfect it's just like there's no there's nothing else you know there's nothing to sink your teeth into it's like you have to have you have to have the meaty stuff to get you to that this is perfect you can't yeah. at this point in consciousness or whatever you want to say there's no real skipping and there are I think there is shortcuts dude I think there is like uh. whether it's psychedelics or meditation mm-hmm. or living a creative life like I think just yes. waking like just drawing stuff every day or writing or, or doing something that's self-expressive I think imagination and this is why I love Terrence McKenna and, mm-hmm. and Mayor Baba and like all these people like they talk about how imagination is it the most powerful tool that we've ever had and that we underutilize in every instance is the imagination and especially exactly. And especially in today's culture where we say, Oh, that's just the kid's imaginary friend. That's just your imagination running wild. It's like, yes, it is my imagination running wild because that's how we fucking grow as a species is by people's imagination running wild. Like that is what we're good at. Like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. That's what we're here for. And I, I do think we are getting, I think there is a shift happening. I think there's a lot of bad stuff happening and I think there's a lot of like, you know, things that suck and like can't be directly addressed by what we're talking about right now. But yeah. I think there's the shift happening where people are giving themselves more power, realizing that their minds are more powerful than they've allowed themselves to realize in the past. And I yeah. think that to really address the big social issues and the big economic issues and the big all the big like physical material world issues we have to invest in the imagination and the mythologies of our cultures because the way to really change things is by changing the narrative that we're consuming and change the the mythology i was thinking about this you know, um, not to get like social media topical, but threads just came out, yeah, which yeah. is like the the new Twitter, right? Yeah. And I signed up. I never had a Twitter. I never did that. But like sure. I'm at the point now. Like I I sell things on my Instagram. I am yeah. like it's 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 partly a business thing for me at this point, as much as it is like an artistic expression. So I'm like, I'm yeah. gonna check this thing out. And like, you know, do it so I'm on there and it seems to be this combination of people that are really stoked that there's not like a Troll, negative, news forward aspect like Twitter had. Like, there's not as much negativity. It's a much more positive facing place. But then the other side, it seems like people are talking shit on it because there is such an emphasis on making it a positive place and not talking about like cultural events and real world stuff. And I'm like, dudes, like, you just complained about how much of a trash hole Twitter became because of this, like, and now like as soon as people try and make a positive statement and just something that's more like there's this whole backlash about how like it has to be real like it's like I think we need to invest in that positive mentality. And again, it's not about like the spiritual bypassing or the ignoring it's about the changing the cultural narrative. Like if we could actually change the narrative on something like Twitter to where it's a positive, supportive, creative community, I think that would have some real world implications on policies being passed and like, you know, all the shit that really does need to change, but not if it gets this pushback from these like, what I see is like people trying to be edgy for the sake of being edgy and being sure. like you know what I mean they just want their their stance and their stance is like fuck this like uh, toxic positivity and blah blah yeah. blah and it's like I get that to a certain extent but at the same time if you want to live in a positive world give me the toxic positivity <laughs> like you know what I mean like, like yeah. I don't know there, there seems to be a, a dichotomy that they seem yeah. to be
1: not I, aligning with but I honestly personally I think that dichotomy is important I think that's yeah. what I think that's what prevents the social media space from becoming toxically positive, right? Yes. I think there's a place for Twitter and the way Twitter is and there's a place for something like Threads.
0: Totally. The problem is guess...
1: people want they pick their favorites and yes. they want whichever one isn't their favorite to be more like their favorite. And people and do that all day is... long with everything.
0: Totally, and the thing that's really weird about social media is how much commerce is involved. Because people that are making those statements about the toxic pod, they're coming from Twitter and they're coming to Threads because they feel like they have to. Because Twitter's yeah. dying, and they need to keep selling their prints or their T-shirts or their sure. bullshit, right? So, like, they're complaining against a system that they shouldn't be a part of because they they're only yeah. there because they are trying to make a buck or whatever, right? right. That's kind of how. But those people what belong I was, on Twitter. Yeah, totally. But yeah. they they have to go where the people are so they sure. can keep selling their shit. Right. So like none of these are like actual social medias. They're like social commerce. like You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's this yeah. whole if it was purely social, there would not be uh, as much. And again, I'm the same way, like my I sell stuff through my Instagram. I start. Right. So I'm not talking shit on that completely. Like I'm just saying that, like the people that are complaining. But my, my point in general that I think I didn't get to make there a second ago was that. It says a lot to me that the new social media that pops up is trying to be very positive and that the threat, like, that is a cultural shift. And that's a cultural shift that I think is a good cultural shift. Like, I think it's better for people to stop being so divisive and having to, you know, like, again, toxic positivity is a bad thing and there is a lot of stuff that gets brushed over by those things. But I think that as far as like cultural narratives, like, I think that that's a better one to. Move us in the right direction and kind of like get us out of the stagnation weird thing that we've been in for forever. If yeah, that makes sense. absolutely, yeah. totally. Wow, that was a, I did not expect to go there. That was that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. i
1: I think I think it's probably I think it's probably a good thing. It's yeah. it's definitely a good thing to see. Anytime something new comes up and it manages to gain traction. And it's positive in any way. I'm I'm impressed by that. Totally. You know what I mean. Looking I at agree. the last decade, I think it's it's amazing to me when something manages to be popular and not harmful. <laughs> yeah,
0: because <laughs> that is a, a sad statement, but very yeah. very true.
1: And I like mean, we've, I do, we've been eating so much garbage for so long. You know
0: <laughs> what I mean like it's it's so true yeah and i think you know i'm i am i was talking to i had a comic book roundtable a little bit ago with uh chris ernst who i brought up earlier and super inframan and they are way more tapped into modern comics like they still go to the comic shop every week and read the comics and like they've kept up with like the marvel cinematic universe a lot more than i have and they were explaining to me how there's the shift away from like the dark deconstructionalist thing that has been since like watchmen in the 80s sure. uh, you know kind of taking over this uh, whole genre and even in like the marvel movies and like the you know dc movies and like the superman versus bat those narratives are starting to shift from like this very kind of anti-hero like very yeah. deconstructed to more of your classic like um, superhero not golden age but like your pure hero you're and i i think those cult those cultural narratives shift when they need to and i think like that deconstruction period that we went to like culturally and um societally is so important and like i still love those works of art and like what it's done for society but i think the rebuilding process is has begun and like that's where i'm focusing that's where i want my like my energy to be going is yeah. not in further deconstructing the stuff that's existed for so long like whether it's yeah. Batman and Superman's relationship or like anything <clears throat> I'm more interested in where does all of this weird novelty ramp up take us and where what yeah. can we do at this really important juncture in our weird little time on this blue ball that's like spinning through the space you know Yeah. yeah. I, 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 think I think it's a beautiful time for creatives is what I'm getting at absolutely <laughs>
1: I think, and in the same vein of how much garbage we've eaten in the last 10 years, in the last 50 years, especially in the realm of film and comics, it's basically been ruled by disaster porn Yeah, for the last yes. 50 years. Totally. I mean, all of these, yeah. like, I mean, we grew up with images of destroyed cities and,
0: Ugh. you know, relationships crumbling and... The fact that the main narrative of superhero stuff became how does the city that these battles going down in react, like how do you sue a superhero for destroying your house or your business? That is a fucking bummer. Like, God damn it. That's not what superheroes were supposed to be. There was, I can't remember who said it, but there was someone who said, I love Grant Morrison's work. And one of the reasons I love his work um, versus a lot of like an Alan Moore's work is and I can't remember who said this, but someone else said it smarter than me is that Grant Morrison wants to take us to the superheroes world and wants us to be part of the primary colored, big, bombastic, beautiful, anything can happen. We are all superpowered. Alan Moore wants to take the superheroes and bring them to our real gritty, yes. gross world and make them more human. Yeah. And fuck that, honestly. Like, I am <laughs> yeah. way like, 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 give me, like, I want to go hang out with Superman in the Fortress of Solitude. Like, I don't yeah, want yeah. him to come hang out in Wilmington, Delaware with me. <laughs> like, sure. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I think there's something, but I think that shift is happening. I think people are getting more into the idea that, like, we don't have to be relegated to what we see around us and make these, like, you know, like this deconstruction thing. We can reconstruct into something that's new and different. And, like, I think the impl- implications are always so far in the future that sometimes people don't see them but i think those things are happening faster too i was talking to somebody the other day about ai and how the people that are designing these systems and like silicon valley in general they came up on this culture of like terminator and 1984 and orwell and like these dystopian science fictions and that's essentially like what they are putting into practice right like that's essentially like like the the, the stories they are oh did i lose you okay well jordan you just left um this is also recording on my end so i'm just going to keep talking here (laughs) hey burns back sorry it's okay my router went down that's all good i was like i I just kept going and then i was like he hasn't responded at all (laughs) and then it went black and i was like oh okay there it goes but (laughs) i figured you'd be back oh it's all good man i am yeah, Ugh, I I think that I made the point that I was going to, to try okay. to make there so cool, cool. I mean yeah I think we should probably wrap up let's um, do it we got we, you got an hour and a half here probably a half yeah, hour of uh, of at at least a good solid 45 minutes after edits I'd say at least yeah oh <laughs> um, uh, man yeah okay so before we go
1: tell the people where to find you where to follow you and uh, anything awesome you have coming up
0: yeah. Uh, so, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I don't do the daily art podcast anymore, but there are still weekly sat- interviews that come out every Saturday. And I've been really excited about the ones I have coming up and I've been putting out recently. So, you can find that at Create Magic Podcast. I'm going to be starting a new thr- a new feed um, that's just the Creative Weirdos so people don't have to search through the 400 daily podcasts to get to yeah. the interview segments. I've gotten some people. Peep- so, so by the time this comes out on Friday, I'll probably have the Creative Weirdos feed up too because I'm working on it now. So then you'll be able to – I have about a little over 50 interviews there with people like yourself and – mitch horowitz and john tenney and then a bunch of artists i just got to talk to ashley dreyfus recently he's one of my favorite artists so yeah that's been my main focus as far as podcasting now is getting into the interviews and then as far as art stuff you can follow me on instagram at todd de85 um i have uh prints t-shirts all that stuff comics and zines at greatmagicstudios.com and yeah right now i'm working on the new issue of personal folklore so i have essentially a weirdo comic anthology i put out on at this point it's a quarterly basis i've putting out four issues this year i decided but they're way bigger issues right now so yeah Yeah. i got a bunch of new stuff for that i'm wrapping up and a few uh really exciting projects as far as some kids books coming out that i can't talk about all the way in full detail and are still kind of in the in the process but i can't wait because that's i'm i made an intention earlier this year and cast a little sigil and did a little i actually did a one of my favorite little esoteric workings that mitch horowitz uh came up with called the 10 day miracle club uh Mm -hmm. thing where I, i essentially wanted to be a kids book author i was like i love i'm so grateful for getting to do what i do and draw pictures for a living and everything but like this is something I've always wanted to do, so I did this thing, and it looks like it's working. So I'm really Excellent. excited about that, and yeah. we'll have you have a to lot come back to on soon.
1: when you when the when you drop some books, and we'll talk Pass. about that too.
0: And I need to have you back on Creative Weirdos because yeah. I know you've been uh, working on a lot of new creative projects yourself that I would love to get into the yeah. nitty gritty as far as what that's. Yeah, been like I'd love for to you. do that. Let's Love set it up soon. We'll do an evening record for that yes. one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> make sure we can make that work. <laughs> All right. And um, if, you, if you're if you
1: interested in, in what Todd's doing, links for everything he just mentioned will be in the
0: episode description. So definitely go check that out. Dude, thank you so much for doing this. Anytime. Thank you for asking me. I'm always honored. It's always, again, it's been way too long since we got to hang out. And like, yeah, I'm. I'm feeling like we're going to hang up and I'm going to, I got that feeling I was talking about earlier where I'm ready to go make stuff and feel good good after this conversation. So very, thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook. At campfire.totsau on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And trust in the unknown.